gentlemen, bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing The Sound of Music. doing. I hope this episode of The Musical Man finds you well. This is going to be our longest episode ever. I am calling it right here and now. I have never been more confident when it comes to one of my predictions. Patty and Betty are in total agreement. We have so much to cover. There are going to be so many clips. If you like clips, oh brother, you are going to get a buffet of clips this time around. But we cannot move forward without addressing a few points first here in this opening segment, I have to say right up top, foist and foremost, the Dear Evan Hansen show globe. Oh boy, I saw it. I saw a picture of the Dear Evan Hansen show globe, and that was a colossal disappointment. A titanic flop. I believe it was a pine tree with the words, you will be found in front of it. Oh, that's wonderfully boring. Where is the mannequin of Evan? I want an Evan mannequin waving to me from inside the show globe. Ugh. Man alive. What a missed opportunity. Boo. I'm a ghost. Boo, 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 boo. Hey, how about this? Cynthia Erivo and Ariana Grande have been announced as the stars of Wicked the movie. You know this by now. It's old news by now, but you haven't heard the musical man's take. My take is I'm optimistic. I am excited to see what these actresses will do with these roles. I am a fan of Ariana Grande. I am a fan of Cynthia Erivo. Now, Cynthia Erivo is set to play Alphaba, and that is a very interesting piece of casting. I want to see what Erivo does with that role, because I think of Alphaba as a very rambly, shambly, falling apart character. Alphaba is constantly falling apart at the seams, and I think of Cynthia Erivo as being very much put together. I think that she exudes confidence and togetherness and wisdom, and I just think that it is an interesting match for this character. I want to see what she does! what I do. I know that many people have criticized these casting decisions, especially Ariana Grande in the role of Galinda. Galinda, but I am going to be optimistic. I love Wicked, and I hope the movie turns out good. Oh boy, I am jittery. I am jittery, Patty and Betty. Let's keep moving. I received an email from a listener, Harry, who told me about the 1993 Broadway revival of She Loves Me, and how it doubled as a miniature reunion for the cast of Disney's 
Disney's Aladdin. Jonathan Freeman, the voice of Jafar, played the head waiter in that revival, while Brad Kane, who provided the vocals, the singing voice for Aladdin, played R. Pad Laszlo. Ah, I love a reunion. Thank you for telling me about this, Harry. And since we featured little to no, I want to say no audio from the 1993 Broadway album of She Loves Me, I think it's only fair we showcase Freeman and Kane right here and now. Patty, Benny, can we hear their performances right now? Butterfingers do that again. That's the end of your career. How do you do, sir? How do you do, madam? Don't you know we try to preserve a romantic atmosphere? Good to see you again, Mr. List. That's what all our patrons expect. So every jarring note will be ruthlessly checked. Gently does it try to preserve a romantic atmosphere. I have trained myself going shelf by shelf And I know every item in the store Every tube, jar, box, bottle, carton, and container Where they are, what they cost, what they're for Although it's something you have never thought about Mr. Marichek, try me You need a man who knows the business inside out Mr. Marichek, try me Spoken. And why break someone in when I'm already broken? Thank you so much, Penny and Benny. That's it for our opening segment. It is now time for the show facts relating to this week's subject, The Sound of Music. Show me the show facts. Okay, let's do it. Let's go. The Sound of Music was a 1960 co-winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It tied with future subject, Fiorello. We will talk about Fiorello in the future. The Sound of Music opened on November 16th, 1959 at the Lundfontaine Theater before moving to the Mark Hellinger Theater in November 1962. The show ran for a total of 1,443 performances and is currently the 66th longest-running production in Broadway history, sitting between Arsenic and Old Lace at number 65, 1,444 performances, and Me and My Girl, Me and My Girl at number 67, 1,420 performances. The book of The Sound of Music was written by Howard Lindsay and Russell Krauss. It is based on Maria Von Trapp's 1949 memoir the Story of the Trap Family Singers. <gasps> Did he read the memoir? Oh, stay tuned, listeners, stay tuned. The music of The Sound of Music was written by Richard Rogers, and the lyrics were written by Oscar Hammerstein II. The Sound of Music would prove to be Rogers and Hammerstein's final collaboration as Hammerstein died from stomach cancer nine months after the show premiered on Broadway. The tone of my voice would make it seem as if I'm trying to spin that fact so that it seems cheerful. It is not cheerful at all. That is quite sad, and I, oh, I mourn. <laughs> I mourn the loss. Oh, goodness. So the director of The Sound of Music, the original Broadway production of The Sound of Music, Vincent J. Donahue. Now, Donahue was inspired to adapt this story after watching The Trap Family, a wildly popular 1956 West German film, as well as its 1958 sequel, The Trap Family in America. 
The films are available on YouTube with English subtitles, though I did not watch them for the purposes of this episode. If the first few minutes of The Trap Family in America are any indication, they are supremely boring. No, please give me five more minutes of the Von Trapps sitting in traffic, not talking, not doing anything. I can't get enough of that. No dialogue? Love it! Donahue initially envisioned his stage production as a play with music from the Von Trapp's repertoire, but those plans were scuttled in favor of an entirely original musical, a profitable course correction, if you ask me. Who else do we have on this team? Well, we have musical director Friedrich Devanch, orchestrations by Robert Russell Bennett, choreographer, well, we have a musical staging by, you know we love that, a musical staging by credit, that goes to Joe Layton, scenic design, Oliver Smith, Lighting design, Gene Rosenthal. Sound design, N.A. No sound design this time around. Costume design, Lucinda Ballard. And the original Broadway cast was as follows. Mary Martin, Theodore Bakel, Kurt Kasnar, Marion Marlowe, Patricia Noe, Brian Davies, Kathy Dunn, Luce Ennis, Stefan Garash, Michael Gorin, Elizabeth Howell, Ivana Lean, Mary Susan Locke, Nan McFarland, Muriel O'Malley, Lori Peters, John Randolph, Marilyn Rogers, Karen Shepard, Kirby Smith, William Snowden, and Joseph Stewart. And as always, I do apologize. I try my best, but inevitably there are mispronunciations of first and or last names, and so I apologize if I have made any inevitable mistakes. Tony Nods, The Sound of Music won the following Tony Awards. Best Music Musical. Best Actress in a Musical, Mary Martin. Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Patricia Noe. Best Scenic Design of a Musical, Oliver Smith. And Best Conductor and Musical Director, Friedrich Devanch. It was additionally nominated for the following Tony Awards. Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Kurt Kasnar. Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Theodore Bakel. Best Featured Actress in a Musical, this one cracks me up, Lori Peters, along with the rest of the children. <laughs> Those children being Kathy Dunn, Yvonne Mary Susan Locke, Marilyn Rogers, William Snowden, and Joseph Stewart. I just think it's hilarious that Lori Peters had to share her nomination along with the rest of the children. <laughs> And that is the rest of the children. Okay, oh, oh, I should not forget, there was one more nomination here, Best Direction of a Musical, which of course went to Vincent J. Donahue. So in total, The Sound of Music received nine nominations and received five Tony Awards when all was said and done. Let's talk about the plot. Let's go right into it. Our story takes place in Salzburg, Austria, shortly before the nation was annexed by the Nazis prior to World War II. Maria Rayner has recently joined a Benedictine monastery known as the Nonberg Abbey. Though she harbors a deep devotion to God, the free-spirited woman finds herself missing the wide-open spaces of her youth. The nuns are similarly conflicted as to how they should handle Maria. She sings without permission, never arrives on time for anything, and is otherwise a complete flibbertigibbet. The mother abbess hits upon an idea. Maria will temporarily leave the abbey to serve as governess for the children of Navy Captain Georg von Trapp. During this period, Maria will contemplate the world and decide if she wishes to remain a part of it. Our heroine travels to the von Trapp family villa and is promptly introduced to the captain's seven children. Liesel, 16. Friedrich, 14. Luisa, 13. Kurt, 11. Brigitte, 
10, Marta, 7, and Gretel, 5. All of the numbers are their ages. Did I say that? Oh boy, I don't think I said that. The captain regards his offspring as if they were sailors on a submarine, going so far as to call them with a whistle. Tweet, 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 tweet. Maria manages to break through the children's stoic demeanor with an impromptu music lesson. Come, Von Traps, let us sing of goats and or tea with jam and bread. And so they do. Liesel meets with Rolf, a 17-year-old messenger boy who has become smitten with her. She in turn is fond of Rolf, and a single kiss leaves her in a state of glee. When the gates of the villa, uh-oh, are closed earlier than usual, Liesel is forced to sneak inside through a window which just so happens to lead into Maria's new bedroom. But do not worry, fair Liesel, Maria will keep your romantic escapade a secret. A month goes by. The captain, having been away in Vienna, returns to Salzburg with Baroness Elsa Schrader, whom he is expected to marry. Elsa confides in her associate, Max Detweiler, revealing she has grown restless while waiting for the captain to pop the question. Max believes only the poor have time for real love, while the rich must remain content with their material comforts. Thank you for the insight, Max. So helpful. Rolf stops by in search of Liesel and greets the captain with a hearty Heil! The captain sends the boy away after emphasizing they live in Austria, not Germany. You mini Hitler Nazi idiot, go away. Maria appears with the Von Trapp children in tow. She has fashioned play clothes for them out of common drapes. Oh, imagine, which sends the captain into a snit. He commands Maria to return to the abbey at once. You're fired. But upon hearing his brood sing for Elsa, his dark heart is suddenly filled with light. There was a time before the captain's wife died when their home was filled with music, and he is grateful to Maria for bringing it back into their lives. You're not going anywhere, Maria. Put your suitcase down. You shall remain here as governess by gum. Elsa is threatened by the presence of another woman, though she breathes a little easier upon learning Maria is leaving in September. Oh, thank God. Elsa is introduced to the captain's colleagues during a grand party at the villa. It is March 1938, and Austria has been overtaken by by the Third Reich. As those in attendance argue over their nation's future, Kurt invites Maria to dance with him. Kurt is one of the Von Trapp children, as you may remember. The captain steps in to show his son how it's done, but the intimacy of the moment, uh-oh, leaves Maria feeling overwhelmed. Oh, I am flushed. Brigitte has decided Maria and her father are in love with each other, a theory she is not afraid to share with her governess. Ugh, Maria is shooketh. Could it be true? The children say goodnight to their guests with a cheerful farewell song. Max, astonished by the family's talent, encourages them to perform at the upcoming Kultzberg Festival. The captain dismisses this idea out of hand. Singing in public? Poppycock? As the party continues, Maria gathers her luggage and makes a quiet return to the abbey. She informs the mother abbess that, having taken stock of the world, she is now ready to leave it behind and take her monastic vows. I wish to be a nun forevermore. Ah, but the mother abbess is a canny old bat. She commands our heroine to face the captain and figure out how she feels about the man. Hop to it, my dearest Maria. Act two. Max, having become determined to 
to present the Von Trapps at the festival tries in vain to continue their musical education. The captain attempts to lead the children himself, but life hasn't been the same since Maria left. Speak of the devil, Maria is back? She apologizes for sneaking away without a proper goodbye. I took a French exit, wee wee. And upon discovering Elsa and the captain are officially engaged, she vows to remain until the wedding. After that, I shall leave. Ha ha ha. Uh, yeah, about the wedding. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, that actually falls apart rather quickly. Elsa believes Austria should not resist German occupation. And when the captain refuses to work with the Nazis, it results in the disillusion of their engagement. The captain is now free to confess his love for Maria, and she is able to express her love for him in return. Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys! And by meat, I mean mewage. Upon returning from their honeymoon, Maria and the captain remind Max uh -uh, that despite his cunning machinations, the children will not be performing at the Kaltzberg Festival for the last time. As with every other facet of life, the event has fallen prey to Nazi influence, and to participate would be to condone the actions of the Third Reich. Max is predictably disappointed. I wrote his name out in my notes as Maz. His name is not Maz. His name is Max. Max says, why not sing in support of Austria, even if that support has to remain a secret? The captain scoffs. Austria, as they once knew it, no longer exists. To Liesel's horror, Rolf appears in full Nazi regalia to deliver a telegram for the captain. It would appear he has been offered, the captain, has been offered a position with the German Navy. Nazi Admiral von Schreiber drops by the villa with a sinister clarification. Captain von Tra will assume immediate command in Bremerhaven without question. Maria intervenes. Could the captain report for duty after the family has sung at the festival? The admiral grants her request, thereby buying the Von Trapps precious time. They must leave Austria as soon as possible before it is too late. The day of the Kaltzberg festival arrives. While members of the Nazi guard watch from the wings, the Von Trapps perform several songs for an adoring crowd. The captain steps forward to sing Edelweiss, a folk ballad dedicated to the unbroken spirit of Austria. Yes, he still believes in Austria, despite what he said earlier. The Von Trapps exit the stage after a successful encore, but when the judges award them first prize, they are nowhere to be found. They are gone! Smash cut, the Nonberg Abbey, where the Von Trapps have found a temporary hideout. They are devastated to discover Austria's borders have been closed, and when Rolf stumbles upon them during a raid, it would seem all hope is lost, but Rolf does not betray betray the Von Trapps. Instead, he leads the Nazis away, which allows our heroes to flee into the Alps. Their difficult journey has only just begun, yet their hearts and minds remain resilient. Climb every mountain the end. For the purposes of this week's episode, I read, yes, I read a book, The Story of the Trapp Family Singers from 1949 by Maria Augusta Von Trapp. I followed that up with a little down session with the 1959 original Broadway cast album of The 
Sound of Music, starring Mary Martin and Theodore Bickle. Mary Martin is wonderful on this recording. Ha, huh, big surprise. She applies a slightly tough, square-jawed edge to her vocals that reminded me of other musical theater tomboys like Calamity Jane. This version of Maria would wrestle a black bear for half an hour before announcing the bear was her new best friend, which is not how I would think to describe Julie Andrews' take on the character. Speaking of Julie Andrews, I of course watched the 1965 motion picture adaptation of The Sound of Music, starring Julie Andrews, of course, and Christopher Plummer, and directed by Robert Weiss, who also directed West Side Story and Star Trek The Motion Picture, of course. The film was written by Ernest Lehman, who wrote West Side Story and The King and I and Sabrina and North by Northwest. Very big writer. Having established Mary Martin is wonderful, I have to ask. What was it like for Mary Martin to realize she would never be associated with Maria von Trapp in light of Julie Andrews' Oscar-nominated performance? I would bet dollars to donuts nine out of ten people think Andrews originated the role on Broadway before shooting the film. I am constantly making this assumption myself, and I am the musical man. It does boggle the mind how Andrews never revisited The Sound of Music in the form of a stage revival. Talk about a life to print money? How many producers came to her with that pitch? But back to the film. Ted D. McCord's cinematography is nothing short of stunning. My God, watching this film was a pleasure in and of itself. With my peepers, I mean. I want to visit every location he captures. From the mythic mountains to the austere abbey and the verdant vistas of the Von Trapp family villa? If you've never... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Patty and Betty are... <laughs> They're giving me a little motion. Tone it down. Okay, yes, fine. If you've never seen the movie or have been meaning to revisit it, now is the time. Julie Andrews is picture perfect. Christopher Plummer is hot as hell. The kids are delightful, and the script and structure of the piece have been vastly improved by Weiss and Lehman. Of course, Plummer was not a fan of the film, which he often referred to as the sound of mucus. Oh, Plummer, you wit. And though he eventually became good friends with Andrews, he compared working with her on this film to being smacked over the head with a Valentine's Day card. Ow, 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 bonk, bonk, bonk. But perhaps we should let let the man speak for himself. Here is a quote from Plummer's 1982 interview with People, People Magazine, I believe. Quote, That sentimental stuff is the most difficult for me to play, especially because I'm trained vocally and physically for Shakespeare. To do a lousy part like Von Trapp, you have to use every trick you know to fill the empty carcass of the role. Quote, Plummer's sour tune turned sweet with age, as evidenced by this quote from his 2008 memoir, In Spite of Myself. For context, the actor found himself watching The Sound of Music while attending a children's party. Quote, The more I watched, the more I realized what a terrific movie it is. The very best of its genre. Warm, touching, joyous, and absolutely timeless. Here was I, cynical old sod that I am, being totally seduced by the damn thing, and what's more, I felt a sudden surge of pride that I'd been a part of it. Quote, Plummer, you old pussycat. Meow, meow. I'm glad he came around because his performance is truly spectacular. No one has done more with that empty carcass of a role. No one. 
Unlike his stage musical counterpart, the film version of Rolf, you remember Rolf? Rolf denies the Von Trapp's mercy in the film. Rolf rats on Liesel like a weasel, despite the captain doing his best to talk the boy off a ledge. Rolf, come on now. You don't really want to be a Nazi, do you? Oh, you bet your bippy I do. I'm a monster now. Lieutenant! <laughs> Lieutenant! The movie's ending is much more effective than that of the stage musical. The tension and dread coursing through those final moments, those final scenes, makes the family's escape all the more satisfying. Before we move on to our next source, I would like to highlight Nicholas Hammond's performance as Friedrich, which instantly called to mind a minor yet significant character from The Simpsons. Patty Benny, if you please. I'm Friedrich. I'm 14. I'm impossible. Gentlemen, we now have a girl cadet among our ranks, so we're going to have to make a few changes. First of all, Franklin, you are no longer the girliest cadet here. Well, we'll see about that. Thank you very much. We need to preserve the lines, I'm Friedrich, I'm 14, I'm impossible. That is infinitely funnier than I'm Friedrich, I'm 14, and I'm a boy. That's what he says in the stage show. Boo, no, I'm a ghost. Allow Friedrich to be a swishy drama queen or get off my lawn. Friedrich has read Leaves of Grass over a dozen times. His favorite movie is Spartacus. He collects ribbons. What did I do next? Well, I listened to the 1981 London revival album of The Sound of Music, which stars Petula Clark and Michael Jaston. I had to order a physical CD copy of this because it is not available to stream anywhere. Huh, you can't even download it. You can't download an MP3 version. So if you want this version, if you thought to yourself, I would like to listen to the Petula Clark London revival of The Sound of Music, just let me know. I'll send it to you because I'm nice. If you're not familiar with Petula Clark, here's a fact that should orient you accordingly. She has sold over 68 million records. 68 million. She secured her first UK hit with The Little Shoemaker in 1954, but she also recorded a somewhat obscure song called Downtown. Ever heard of it? Patty Benny, let's hear a touch of both of those songs, if you please. In the shoemaker shop, this refrain would never stop as he tapped away, working all the day. His bench, there was he, just as busy as a bee. Little time to lose with the boots and shoes. But his heart went pop inside the little shop when a lovely girl set him all a whirl. She had come to choose some pretty dancing shoes, and he heard her say in a charming way, I want some shoes to set my feet a dancing, dancing. My feet are dancing, dancing, dancing all my cares away. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. When you've got worries, all the noise and the hurry seems to help. I Brighter there, you can't forget all 
Thank you. Of all the Maria Von Trapps I encountered this week, I had a feeling Clark would sound the most like a will-o'-the-wisp. Tumbling and ethereal, like the vapor surrounding Maria's mountains. And I was right, by God, I was right. Clark is offering the silver tones of a river nymph while injecting the material with just the right amount of pop flavor. It's all in the phrasing, the coloring, how she presses her fingertips into the mold of the show. She really does make the score her own. Hearing her work is a pleasure. I then listened to the 1998 Broadway revival cast album starring Rebecca Luker and Michael Seabury, and then I listened to the 2006 London revival cast album starring Connie Fisher and Alexander Hansen. Alexander Hansen Fisher landed the part of Maria upon winning the BBC's How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria, a reality competition show we have talked about on the main feed and the Patreon feed, and we will discuss this show further during our ephemera segment. You can rely on that promise. I then sat down with a rented DVD copy of The Sound of Music Live, which originally aired on NBC on December 5th, 2013. It stars Carrie Underwood and Stephen Moyer. I have a couple of <laughs> very broad notes here that I'm gonna riff on. Okay, was there no way of removing the ocean spray in post? My God, this dead air is is teaking. It is chatting. It is the loudest hiss that is playing throughout the entire broadcast. <sighs> Okay, so I don't wish to be a bully, but we do need to get a taste of Carrie Underwood's acting. This is a scene in which she is acting against Audra McDonald, who is playing the Mother Abbess. Oh boy, Patty, Benny, let's just play that. I want to speak with you. Yes, about last night. Reverend Mother, I was on my knees most of the night because I was late. And after you've been so kind and given me permission to leave. It's not about your being late, Maria. I must have awakened half the abbey before Sister Sophia heard me and opened the gate. Maria, very few of us were asleep. We could only think that you had lost your way and to be lost at night on that mountain. Reverend Mother, I couldn't be lost on that mountain. That's my mountain. I was brought up on it. It was that mountain that brought me to you. Oh? When I was a little girl, I used to come down the mountain, climb a tree, and look over into your garden. I'd see the sisters at work, and I'd hear them sing on their way to Vespers. Many times, I went back up that mountain, in the dark, singing all the way. And that brings up another transgression. I was singing yesterday, and I was singing without your permission. Maria, it is only here in the Abbey where there is a rule about singing. Well, that's the hardest rule of all for me. Sister Margareta is always reminding me, but too late, after I've started singing. And the other day, you were singing in the garden, the top of your voice. But, Mother, it's that kind of song. I came to the window, and when you saw me, you stopped. Yes, that's been on my mind ever since it happened. Yes, it's been on my mind, too. I wish you hadn't stopped. Oh, I felt so bad for Carrie Underwood because she is just flopping. She is flopping on the deck like a fish. We should be grateful this did not kill the live TV musical as it was leaving the gate. So that's all I have to say really about The Sound of Music Live for NBC. But, ah, what's this? I also watched The Sound of Music Live from ITV. Yes, a separate live broadcast of The Sound of Music which aired on ITV 
Lee on December 20th, 2015, just two years after NBC did it. I had never heard of this until this week. It stars Kara Toynton and Julian Ovenden, and oh my gosh, this gets everything right that the NBC version gets wrong. The sets are so much better, the acting across the board, the casting across the board. Holy crap, if you have not seen this, I would highly recommend it. Of course, it is nowhere near as good as the 1965 film. That is the height of this subject, of this piece. You're never going to beat that. But if you're looking for some more sound of music in your life, you could do so much worse than the ITV production. I really did enjoy Kara Toynton's interpretation of Maria Von Trapp, and I thought Julian Ovenden was great as the captain. And again, oh, the kids are great, and the staging. I'm repeating myself, but I have not said this yet. The staging of all of the numbers is just so good. The lighting is so good. Just watch it. Trust me. Just trust me. It's really, really good. I did consider a number of additional sources, including a 2003 memoir by Agatha Von Trapp, the oldest of the Von Trapp children, and a 2015 made-for-television film based on said memoir, but... I find climbing every mountain, every mountain, is not always necessary, despite what the Mother Abbess would tell us. I would like to offer a few casting ideas for the role of Maria Von Trapp at this time, and then we will segue so smoothly, so perfectly into our deconstruction of the score. I'm of the belief NBC should have cast Laura Benati as Maria for the 2013 live broadcast. Oh boy, so Benati plays Elsa Schrader, and asking Bonatti to play Elsa is an insult and a waste of everyone's time. But if we absolutely had to have a four-quadrant name celebrity standing in the center ring, here's an idea. Why not fight for Kelly Clarkson? Admittedly, she may not be a master thespian, but I would like to think she could act circles around Underwood, who is a disaster. Again, I do not mean to be a bully, but she is a disaster. I am burping through this entire phrase. Here is a proposal for those of you with time machines, access to a time machine, Liz Calloway. Hello! Oh my god, how did she never play this part on Broadway, am I right? We let her down. The blame rests equally on all of our shoulders. My final pitch is as follows. Pay close attention. This is brilliant. Ava Noblezada of Town fame. This is galaxy brain casting on my part, but who would play her Captain Von Trapp? I don't know. I'm at a loss when it comes to that. I am currently taking suggestions. Share them with me We'll share them on the air. Yes, I will. I will do that. Okay, now it's time to talk about the score. Let's hear, let's hear Preludium. We'll start with the opening sequence. Preludium. Let's go.
The only moment I recall from my high school's production of The Sound of Music, which I would have seen while in junior high, I believe, is in connection with the opening sequence, Preludium, uh, my apologies, the full name of the opening sequence, as listed on the original Broadway cast album, is as follows, Preludium slash Dixit Dominus slash Morning Hymn slash Alleluia. So there you go. But dig this, dig this! babe, someone thought to have the nuns move through the audience before walking onto the stage. That choice left me agog. I had never before seen the fourth wall broken in such a way. When I was in middle school, I thought those high school productions were the height of artistic achievement. This presumption was swiftly corrected when I actually became a high school student, but uh, what can you do? to beat like the wings of the birds that rise from the lake to the trees. My heart wants to sigh like a chime that flies from a church on a breeze to laugh like a brook as it trips and
The title song of this week's subject contains what may very well be Richard Rogers' loveliest and most casually transcendent phrase, and that phrase is as follows. My heart will be blessed with the sound of music. All it takes for that word music, all it takes for that word to bloom is a nudge. Music. Ah, the nudge. What a triumph. I always find myself zeroing in on Maria's reference to loneliness in this song. She visits the hills when her heart is lonely. She also had a rotten childhood, as evidenced by the song Something Good in Act 2. Maria is not the pristine Pollyanna sunbeam people make her out to be, and we should take advantage of that. Take my advice, actors. Lean into the rough edges. Show me the dents in Maria's armor as they only make her more endearing in the long run. Kara Toynton does this to great effect in the ITV broadcast, I must say. Come to think of it, Maria really was the Ted Lasso of her generation, if I may be topical. She chose kindness in the face of an unkind world. I've never seen a second of Ted Lasso for the record. I would now like to offer the first of several selections from The Story of the Trap Family Singers, a.k.a. Maria Von Trapp's memoir from, what was it, 1949, I believe it was? This is from Chapter 1, Just Loaned. Quote, When you are a child of the mountains yourself, you really belong to them. You need them. They become the faithful guardians of your life. If you cannot dwell on their lives, lofty heights all your life, if you are in trouble, you want at least to look at them. The man who wrote 3,000 years ago, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help, knew this too. And even our Lord, when he was weary and tired out and wanted to be alone with his father, ascended a mountain. Quote, In other words, if I may summarize for Maria, the hills are alive with the sound of music, essentially. Okay, let's go. Let's keep moving. When I'm with her, I'm confused, out of focus and bemused, and I never know exactly where I am. Unpredictable is weather. She's as flighty as a feather. She's a darling. She's a demon. She's a lamb. She'll have pester any pest, drive a hornet from his nest. She could throw a whirling dervish out of world. She is gentle, she is wise, she's a riddle, she's a child, she's a Many a thing she ought to understand. For 
here's my theory regarding the nuns of the Nonberg Abbey. Every single one of them is jealous of Maria. Jealous, whether they realize it or not. And no one is more jealous than Sister Bertha, who refers to Maria as a flirty gibbet. I believe Bertha is the one who says that. Sister Bertha, you wish you were a wave upon the sand. You couldn't pass for a healthy flush in your average public toilet. Get a life, lady. And what are we to make of these words from Sister Margareta? Quote, when I'm with her, I'm confused, out of focus and bemused, and I never know exactly where I am. Quote, knock, knock, ding, dong, telegram, you are a lesbian, my dear. You are a lesbian, my dear. Your paperwork is in the mail. Here's another selection from the 1949 memoir. This is specifically from Chapter 1, Just Alone. We're still in Chapter 1. <laughs> Here we go, quote, I was the black sheep of the community. There was no doubt about that. I never meant anything bad, but my upbringing had been more that of a wild boy than that of a young lady. Time and again, I had been warned by the mistress of novices that I could not race over the staircase like that, taking two and three steps at a time, that I definitely could not slide down the banister, that whistling, even the whistling of sacred tunes, had never been been heard in these venerable rooms before. That jumping over the chimneys on the flat roof of the school wing was not fitting for an aspirant to the novitiate of the Holy Order of St. Benedict. Quote, I can't help but imagine Maria leaping over those chimneys like Lupin III. She was meant to be a gentleman thief, I do tell you. Now, as a bit of historical context, in comparison to the story of the stage show, Maria was originally sent to live with the Von Trapp family because of her frequent headaches, which doctors attributed to a sudden change in lifestyle. You can't expect her to be cooped up when she's been climbing mountains all of her life. Maria needs moderate, regular exercise. This is what the doctor said. In total, Maria was to spend 258 days with the Von Trapp family while making time to visit the Abbey on her days off. So she actually visited the Abbey constantly. Here is another selection from Chapter 1. This has to do with Maria's assumptions regarding Captain Von Trapp. Just so you know, I want to contextualize this passage for you. Quote, I had never been at the seashore, nor had I ever met a sea captain in my life. I knew them only from storybooks and pictures. I guess he is an elderly man with a bushy gray beard, red cheeks, and sharp blue eyes, I thought to myself. Most probably he chews tobacco and spits quite a bit. If he is a captain, he must have been around the world many times. Surely all his walls must be plastered with trophies, lion and tiger hides, weapons, pottery, and whatnot. Oh, it will be awfully interesting. Quote, The courage to serve them with reliance Face my mistakes without defiance Show them I'm worthy And while I show them I'll show me So let them bring on all their problems I'll do better than my best I have confidence they'll put me to the test But I'll make them see I confidence in me. Somehow I will impress them. I will be firm but kind. And all those children, heaven bless them, they will look up to me and mind me with each step I am more certain. Everything will turn out fine. 
world can all be mine. They'll have to agree I have confidence in me. I have confidence in sunshine. I have confidence in rain. I have confidence that spring will come again. Besides which you see, I have confidence in me. Strength doesn't lie in numbers. Strength doesn't lie in wealth. Strength lies in nights of peaceful slumbers. When you wake up, wake up! It's healthy. All I trust I leave my heart to. All I trust becomes my own. I have confidence in confidence alone. Oh, help. I have confidence in confidence alone. Besides which you see, I have confidence in me. I Have Confidence was added to the score of the stage musical when the movie proved to be a monumental hit much like the 1978 film version of Grease impacted its theatrical counterpart. We needed to hear Julie Andrews' take on confidence because she is, hold on to your hats for this incoming hot take, one of a goddamn kind. Watch the movie, watch her akimbo scarecrow physicality, and tell me this Maria wouldn't throw a whirling dervish out of whirl. Andrews actually tripped while bounding down that dirt road, and she never missed a beat, which inspired director Robert Weiss to include the take in his final cut of the film. Forget about Maria von Trapp's confidence. I want a third of Julie Andrews' confidence. Please, thank you. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens Bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens Brown paper packages tied up with strings These are a few of my favorite things Cream-colored ponies and crisp apple strudels Doorbells and sleigh bells and schnitzel with noodles Wild geese that fly with the moon on their wings these are a few of my favorite things. Girls in white dresses with blue satin sashes, snowflakes that stay on my nose and eyelashes, silver white winters that melt into springs. These are a few of my favorite things. When the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I feel. to find out how my favorite things became a Christmas standard, and it would seem this evolutionary process began with Jack Jones' 1964 album, The Jack Jones Christmas Album. Jones was the first artist to recontextualize the song as a holiday anthem, and so I feel we must hear a fruitcake slice of it right here and now. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens Bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens Brown paper packages tied up with strings These are a few of my favorite things 
cream-colored ponies and crisp apple strudels, doorbells and sleigh bells and schnitzels with noodles, wild geese that fly with the moon on their wings. These are a few of my favorite things. Girls in white dresses with blue satin sashes, snowflakes that stay on my nose and eyelashes, silver white winters that melt into springs. These are a few of my favorite things. When the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember my favorite things that I <laughs> yum, yum, yum. The 1981 London arrangement of My Favorite Things appears to be indebted to the Nutcracker going all in on the ho-ho-ho holiday vibe. Should we hear that as well? Of course we should. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens Bright copper kettles and woolen mittens Brown paper packages tied up with strings These are a few of my favorite things Cream-colored ponies and crisp apple strudel Doorbells and sleigh bells and schnitzel with noodles Walkies that fly with the moon on their wings These are a few of my favorite things Girls in white dresses My Favorite Things functions far better as a way for Maria to bond with the children than as a way of commiserating with the Mother Abbess. Trust me, if you're staging The Sound of Music, take a cue from the movie and position this song so it arrives during the thunderstorm. And as far as that first scene with Maria and the Mother Abbess is concerned, I say you should take a cue from the 1981 London revival and utilize this song, A Bell Is No Bell. Song till you 
too often, Belle is turned into a limp intro for the 16 going on 17 reprise in Act 2, reprise, and that's a bunch of bunk if you ask me. We have a perfectly good, fully realized song just sitting here, and it should not go to waste. So don't, is that what you call a song? Do, re, mi, fa, so, and so on? No, do, re, mi, fa, so, and so on are only the tools we use to build a song. Once we have these notes in our heads, we can sing a million different tunes. How? By mixing them up. So, do, la, fa, mi, do, re. Now you do it. So, do, la, fa, mi, do, re. Put it all together. So do la fa mi do re. So do la ti do re do. But it doesn't mean anything. So we put in words. One word for every note. note. Yes, Brigitte, I did. But when you sing anything, you're using three notes on one word. Yes, that's right. Well, sometimes we do that. All right, all together and when you adore Rebecca Luker's delivery of, yes, well, sometimes we do that, on the 1998 recording, which you just heard. Brigitte, you are positively murdering the party, my sweet pompous soup dumpling. Do not make me come for you in the night. Do Re Mi is a barn burner. The song, oh my god, it's a barn burner. It's a barn buster. It busts up barns for a living and takes names while doing it. And how about that shot from the film in which Julie Andrews and the children are burning rubber on their bicycles. That is a simple idea executed with glorious panache. I was falling over myself for that shot. As we have come to understand, I am both impressed by and deeply resentful of people who can ride a bike while singing at the same time. Said people deserve trophies and jail time. You are 16 going on 17, baby, it's time to think. Better. 
could someone get this boring, pedantic, wannabe Nazi out of my face? Ugh. If I were to don my conical director's cap and stage 16 going on 17, my first and only order of business would be to ensure Liesel always has the upper hand over Rolf. The Von Trapp kids are menaces, are they not? Liesel should be teasing Rolf constantly. I like to think they've known each other since they were wee, 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 wee children. Tripping him, kicking him in the butt, that's what she should be doing while refusing to take him seriously. This sounds like a surefire way to alienate most audiences. I don't think they would like my take on this song, but I'm not about romanticizing Rolf. Rolf is mud as far as I'm concerned. seven different iterations of The Sound of Music, I realized the Lonely Goat Herd is a sort of a ship without a port. No one seems to agree where it should be placed or how it should be contextualized. Should Maria sing this song to the children during a thunderstorm? Should we present it as the narrative for a disturbing puppet show? What is to be done with The Lonely Goat Herd? For my money, I like how the 1981 London revival turns the song into a spontaneous, rollicking folk number sung at a village fair. This is a tremendous concept that showcases the Austrian community at its best, before the Nazi occupation casts a miserable pall over the nation. And frankly, it's nice to get out of the Von Trapp house and engage with a wider world for once. Break out the beer and the oompa We must sing of this lonely, lonely goat herd. In all the famous love affairs, the lovers have to struggle. In garret rooms away upstairs, the lovers starve and snuggle. They're famous for misfortune, which they seem to have no fear of. While lovers who are very rich, you very seldom hear of. No little shack do you share with me. We do not flee from a mortgage. Nary a care in the world have we. How can love survive? You're fond of bonds and you own a lot. Plenty of nothing you haven't got. How can love survive? Rogers and Hammerstein saddle Max and Elsa with a pair of numbers that are, at best, excellent opportunities to visit your nearest restroom. Seriously, if you hear the phrase, how can love survive, or there's no way to stop it, feel free to relieve yourself without guilt. I have no interest in hearing these Noel Coward-esque sycophants wax ironic about the perils of wealth while rolling out the red carpet for the Nazis. The 1965 film relegates Max and Elsa to the status 
status of non-singing characters, which proves to be one of its many, many wise decisions. Before we move on, can we hear How Can Love Survive from the 1981 London Revival? No little shack does he share with me. We do not flee from a mortgagee. Nary a care in the world have we. How can love survive? He's fond of bonds and he owns a lot. I have a plane and a diesel yacht. Plenty of nothing you haven't got. How can love survive? Why does Honor Blackman's Elsa sound like a chain-smoking villain from an old-school animated Disney movie? Puppies! Diamonds! I must have my puppies! And diamonds! Here is another selection from Maria Von Trapp's 1949 memoir. This is from Chapter 5, God's Will Hath No Way. And, okay, so just to put you in the right frame of mind, this is all about Maria's assumptions regarding Princess Yvonne, the inspiration for Elsa Schrader. Quote, In my young romantic imagination, I saw a figure out of Grimm's fairy tales. Young and slender, blue-eyed, blonde-haired. Well, I didn't really expect her to wear a crown, but something near a halo I certainly did expect. Oh, I could picture her already. How she would glide into the room with soft fairy steps, a dreamy look in her deep blue eyes, hands like the petals of a lily, oceans of affection and love emanating from her towards the poor, motherless little ones and their lonely father. Princess Yvonne, oh, the mere name put me in a festive mood, and on the knees of my heart I was worshipping her already. How slowly the time dragged during the lessons of the next morning. Finally, the gong sounded for lunch, and in solemn expectation, I entered the big drawing room where the exalted guest must be. Oh, had she missed the train? Because the lady who entered with the captain couldn't possibly. But, lo and behold, the girls were curtsying, and hello, Aunt Yvonne, and how do you do, Aunt Yvonne? Then I heard the captain's voice, Yvonne, may I introduce? And I looked down into cool but not unfriendly eyes. Well, well, the wonder girl of whom I have heard so much. And we shook hands. And this was my first meeting with a real princess in the flesh. Quote, My God, Maria, why are you reading this princess for filth? What are you doing? This is so humiliating. This is a real person you're talking about. This is a book that is going to be published. Oh, I'm sure she will be the most beautiful fairy princess in the world. Where is she? I can't see her. Who are you, strange short person who is not attractive? Oh, you're the princess? Well, fiddle-dee-dee, I guess my presumptions have been corrected. Maria, my God, really.
climb every mountain is progressive and punk as fuck. Do not limit yourself. Do not hem yourself in out of fear. Do not be embarrassed by or ashamed of the love you feel. Speak out. Silence is for the damned. Explore every option before making your decision while knowing you can always change your mind. The plans you make for yourself should always be flexible. Never be afraid to return to the drawing board. My God in heaven, Maria, go get that dick. That's what I think the Mother Abbess is saying in this song. We now present an obscenely indulgent Mother Abbess mountain montage featuring Patricia Newway from the 1959 original Broadway cast, Marjorie McKay dubbing for Peggy Wood for the 1965 motion picture soundtrack, June Bronchial from the 1981 London Revival cast, Patty Conner from the 1998 Broadway Revival cast, Leslie Garrett from the 2006 London Revival cast, Audra McDonald from the 2013 NBC broadcast, and finally, Maria Friedman from the 2015 ITV broadcast. I should say the audio I pulled for Maria Friedman is not nearly as good as the rest of the audio from our montage, but that's because you can't get the audio from the ITV broadcast in any official form, okay? So I apologize in advance. I apologize for mispronouncing any of those names. Let's hear this glorious, obscenely indulgent Mother Abbess Mountain Montage.
is the best of the best. Who puts all other mother abbesses to shame? Only you can answer that question, dear listener. Only you can decide. I'm just kidding. The answer is June Bronchial of the 1981 London Revival. She delivers that last stratospheric dream as if it doesn't contain a single consonant. She has moved beyond consonants. And I hate to be a pill, Maria Friedman, but the final line is follow every rainbow till you find your dream, not follow every byway till you find your dream. I am not coming after Maria Friedman. I accept her position as a treasure, but mistakes must be corrected. You dear, attractive, dewy-eyed idealist. Today you have to learn to be a realist. You may be bent on doing deeds of daring do, but up against a shark, what can a herring do? Compromise. Compromise and be wise. Let them think you're on their side. Be non-committal. I will not bow my head to the man I despise. You won't have to bow your head. Just stoop a little. Why not learn to put your faith and your reliance on an obvious and simple fact of science? Crazy planet full of crazy people is somersaulting all around the sky. And every time it turns another somersault, another day goes by. And there's no way to stop it. No, there's no way to stop it. No, you can't stop it even if you try. So I'm not going to worry. No, I'm not going to worry. Every time I see another day go All right, so by now we understand I'm not a fan of the Max and Elsa material. I went over that. But we need to address the sloppy messaging imparted throughout No Way to Stop It. What exactly is their advice for the captain? Is it keep your head down for the sake of those you love? Possibly. After all, Elsa does say, think of the children, shortly before the orchestra kicks in. But that idea is eventually discarded and replaced by a more selfish credo. The only thing that matters in this world is yourself. Look out for number one. The universe revolves around you, you, you. So who cares about what may or may not happen to anyone else? This is dreadful counseling for a father of seven. And it's not like Rogers and Hammerstein are incapable of writing a clear-minded, politically charged song. They wrote, You've got to be carefully taught for South Pacific, which was a fairly aggressive rebuke of racism for its time. On the flip side, no way to stop it is is a mealy-mouthed trifle designed for characters they clearly have no passion for, and that deficit of enthusiasm shows. Here's another selection from the memoir. This is from chapter 13, and the Lord said to Abram... Okay, so, context. Maria and the captain encounter a famous figure at a restaurant within the House of German Art. Okay, you good? You in a good position for this? Okay, great. Quote, When the waiter came to take our order, he whispered, Have you seen him? No, I said, whom? But look, the Fuhrer at the next table. And so it was. At the very next table sat the Fuhrer of the German people, surrounded by six or eight SS men. They all were drinking beer and Hitler raspberry juice, because one of his innumerable virtues was that he didn't touch alcohol, nor did he eat meat. For the next 40 minutes, we had a first-class opportunity to look at the Messiah of the Third Reich. 
Among his bodyguard, there must have been a very good joker, because every few minutes they all roared with laughter in a way that is not accepted as good manners among educated people. The gayest of all was he. He slapped his thigh and roared so heartily that twice he started to choke. He rose from his chair only to fall backwards in helpless merriment. His thin hair fell over his forehead. His arms waved in the air. His world-famous moustachelette quivered. He was an embarrassing sight. If one hadn't been so deeply impressed by the fact that this man held the fate of many millions in his fingers, one wouldn't have looked a second time at him. He seemed to be very, very ordinary, a little vulgar, not too well-educated. What a precious opportunity, though, to watch him so closely at the moment when he seemed to be perfectly at ease. One couldn't stand it too long, however. Knowing who he was, it became too depressing. Here is a related passage from the memoir. This is from chapter 13. And the Lord said to Abram... Oh, okay. <laughs> the same chapter. All right, fine. This is regarding Hans, the Von Trapp family butler. Quote, The door opened, and in came Hans, our butler. He went straight to my husband, and, strangely pale, said, Austria is invaded by Germany, and I want to inform you that I am a member of the party. I have been for quite some time. Hans was much more than a very good butler. He seemed to be as genuinely attached to us as we were to him. All the children were very fond of him. He was their confidant. He always seemed to have a solution to their problems. Now, there was a strained expression on his face as he walked around the table. He knew why Georg had said so pointedly at the beginning of the meal, I think we are going to have a late spring this year. Have you seen any bulbs coming out in the garden? And then continued to talk about flowers and the weather. Hans knew that we didn't trust him anymore, that we were afraid of him. He didn't belong to us any longer. He belonged to the party. Quote, choose to stage an ordinary couple when something good pushed that song into an open grave over 50 years ago. Do not deny audiences their chance to hear it live. Let's hear something good now. Perhaps I had a wicked childhood. Perhaps I had a miserable youth. But some For here you are. 
Nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could. Ah, we call that excellent writing, my dears. Beautiful. Sisters of the Nonberg Abbey, why are you still singing about Maria being a problem on the day of her wedding? She is not your problem anymore. If I was walking down the aisle and my former roommates were talking shit like this, I would have to remove my veil and have a very pointed conversation with several people. Because you do not refer to the bride as a flipperty gibbet. I'm a flipperty gibbet, sister single, am I? I'm a will of the wisp, am I? A clown, am I? Don't you walk away from me, you Kathy Jimmy motherfucker! You will not be drinking the blood of Christ on this day. No, no, no. Today you shall drink your own blood. With that on the record, I would like to offer, oh, yet another selection from the memoir. This is chapter five, God's will hath no way. This is all about a rumor regarding a bun in the oven. Uh-oh. Quote, the telephone wires carried the message from one castle and palace to another that Maria, the young teacher of the trap children, was expecting a baby. And the Baron, in his loyalty and knightliness, had resolved to marry her. That was why he had to break off his near engagement to Princess Yvonne. Who starts such a story? Nobody. It doesn't start as a story. It starts as an inflection of the voice. A question, asked in a certain tone, and not answered with no, a prolonged little silence, a twinkle in the eye, a long drawn, well, I don't know. These are the fine roots of the tree whose poisonous fruits are gossip and slander. Quote, Maria obviously still has a problem, <laughs> a grudge that she is carrying to this day when she is writing this book. Oh, those bastards who said I had a baby in the oven, a butt in the oven, those bastards. Grow for 
Edelweiss acts as an effective rejoinder to a song like Tomorrow Belongs to Me from Cabaret. Tomorrow Belongs to You? Ah, no, 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 I don't think so. Fuck you, Nazis. Fuck you, Nazis, eat my shit. Austria's spirit will never die. There is a deeply affecting moment in the 1965 film when Christopher Plummer's captain convinces the festival crowd to sing Edelweiss with him in a quiet act of defiance. What are you gonna do? Arrest the entire audience for singing about Austria? Eat my shit, Nazis! That's all I have to say regarding the score for The Sound of Music. Normally, we would hear from our fine, fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee, at this time, but we have a brand new $10 a month, oh, 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 $10 a month patron by the name of Elizabeth. Hello, Elizabeth! Elizabeth has earned a musical shout-out by pledging, oh, pledging $10 a month. Oh, and so we will deliver that music Musical shout out to you now, Elizabeth. Take it away. Musical shout out. Could you do me a favor? Could you light my cigarette? Oh, thank you. Oh, you're cute. Okay, thank you. Goodbye. All right, hello. Hello, this is Lucille Ball. I am recording. We're recording, right? Oh, fantastic. This is a musical shout-out for Elizabeth. Elizabeth, thank you so much. A $10 a month patron. How generous. Oh, hold on, dear. I'm going to smoke my cigarette. (sighs) You know, Elizabeth, there are a lot of nasty people who say nasty things about me, but you're not one of them. You requested me for your shout-out, and I I thank you very much, sweetheart. You know, those idiots over at the Brown Derby, they're still to this day. They are still claiming that I sat backstage and took notes on Angie's performance in Maine. It's it's poppycock. Can you imagine me? <laughs> Me, step, kick, kick, leap, kick, touch. Oh, I'm taking notes, Angela. I'm taking notes on you. I'm a nerd. Ooh, all about Eve. More like all about Lucy. No, that's not how it happened. Give me a razzle-dazzle break. I was the biggest asset in the portfolio of the Columbia Broadcasting System. All right, Elizabeth? The biggest asset in the portfolio of Philip Morris Tobacco Westinghouse. I got paid a fortune to do exactly what I loved doing. I worked side by side with my husband, who was genuinely impressed by me, and all I had to do to keep it was kill for 36 weeks in a row, and then do it again the next year. But you are, you know all of this, Elizabeth. You're one of my fans, and I, I, I do thank you. I just want to warn you through song. You know, they always said to me, they always said to me, Lucy, and I'm saying it to you now, Elizabeth. <clears throat> Hold on, let me smoke my cigarette. Ah, that's good. Oh, that's really good. Okay. All right, I think I can sing this now. Okay, you can take this cigarette away from me. I need both hands for this. All right, so this is the this is the advice they tried to give to me back in the day, Elizabeth. And I, I just want to see what you think about this. They said, Lucy, you can like the life you're living. You can live the life you like. You can even marry Desi, but mess around with Mame. And that's good, isn't it grand? Isn't it great? Isn't it swell? Isn't it fun? Isn't it? But nothing stays. 
In 50 years or so, are you listening? They're gonna talk you now. Oh, Lucy this, oh, Lucy that. But oh, it's heaven now. Oh, days I can sing when I want to sing, Elizabeth. <laughs> that was, give me my cigarette. That was always my little secret. <sighs> Oh, that's good. They wanted me to sing for Mame, but I didn't feel like singing, and so I botched the entire production. <laughs> now, let me tell you, sit down. Let me tell you about the time I seduced Abbott and Costello in the back of a funeral parlor. Oh, those were the days. <laughs> ah, this cigarette is stubbed out. Give me another cigarette. Final thoughts regarding the sound of music. Well, I don't really have any final thoughts. I think I have said all that needs to be said. But if you think we covered a lot of ground when it came to the sound of music, huh, just wait until we cover its older, lesser sibling, The King and I, which has practically the same story and is uh, so much more racist. <laughs> I will just say that for now. Daddy is going to go all out for that episode. So, you know, I don't know when it's going to come up. <laughs> but we will go all out. Now, in 1960, as a reminder, the winners of the Tony Award for Best Musical were The Sound of Music and Fiorello. They tied, baby. They were both winners. And the additional nominees that season were Gypsy, Once Upon a Mattress, and Take Me Along. Now, for my money, I've used that phrase in this episode once before, I think. For my money, I would probably swap out Fiorello for Gypsy, but that is... <laughs> that is based on nothing, because I know nothing about Fiorello. I have to really engage with that that show before I make a final decision. But for now, I would probably, if we're gonna tie, if we have to have two winners, I, oh, for the moment, would pick The Sound of Music and Gypsy. But again, that is not a final decision. That is, ooh, that's in the ether. Ooh, uh, we're not locking down that decision yet. We are now going to rank The Sound of Music against all of the other shows we have talked about here on the podcast. As a reminder, if you want to take a look at our complete ranking, go to twitter.com slash musicalmanpod. You will find our link tree. Go into the link tree. Go to our spreadsheet. The second tab of our handy-dandy Google spreadsheet will give you all the info you need about how we have ranked these shows against each other. I do have one change regarding the ranking that I would like to announce right here and now. Kiss Me Kate is now sitting at number 32 between Kiss of the Spider Woman at 31 and Damn Yankees at number Number 33. But where does the sound of music wind up going? Well, I put that at number 41 between Ain't Misbehavin' at number 40 and No Strings at number 42. It's true. It's true. Ah, yes, the show-related ephemera segment. Oh, we have so much to cover in this segment. My God, this is going to be just as long as everything that came before it. <laughs> I'm sure that's not true. I'm kidding. Just so you know, this segment will not include anything relating to Seth MacFarlane. No, no, no. No clips from the Oscars. No clips from Family Guy. Sorry, not sorry. I want to start with, I have a few more, actually, a few more passages from the memoir. We are going to start with this passage from Chapter 9, an operation, a turtle, and a long-distance call. Here's my setup for you. Maria makes a friend during a stay at the hospital. Quote, 
Sister Agrosia was a saintly nun with only one fault. In her childlike innocence, she believed every word I said, however silly my stories might be. She had stirred up in me the urge to find out to what depths her trustfulness would go, which made my stories sillier each day, and still I hadn't reached the limit of her credulity. When it was evident Caspar Milchior and Balthazar, I should say these are Maria's pet chickens, when it was clear that they had to be taken to greener pastures, Georg went to a pet shop and came back radiant. Look what I got you! And he put a little turtle on my bed. At this very moment, Sister Agrosia came into the room. Oh, she said, what is that? Looking curiously at something she had never seen before in her life. Truthfully, I answered, that is a turtle, sister. A turtle? What is a turtle, she wanted to know. That was bad. All my evil instincts were at work. A turtle is an animal which feeds on the toes of newborn babies, I said, looking straight into her eyes. This she can't believe, I thought to myself, but I was mistaken. Oh, oh, sister said, and looked with horror at that little brown lump on my blanket. But we'll have to be very careful and keep the door shut. I had been given the only vacant room in the whole house, which happened to be next to the maternity ward, babies being born constantly around me. Cruelly, I answered, that won't help any, sister, because a turtle can make itself flat like a sheet of paper, crawl under the door, and blow itself up outside again. Sadly, I must confess, I was not a bit ashamed of myself at that moment, nor was I next morning, when I heard from eyewitnesses that Sister Agrosia had been sitting on a chair outside my door with a stick in her hand, while the little turtle slept peacefully on my chest. Quote, Oh, Maria, you're such a prankster. Up next, we have a bit of audio from The Julie Andrews Hour, specifically Season 1, Episode 16, which aired on January 20th, 1973. In this episode, the real Maria Von Trapp drops by to offer Julie Andrews a yodeling lesson. Maria, there's something that I've always wanted to ask you. Now, you know, I played you in the picture, and you are you, and uh, I am me, and since you are you, and I was you, and well, since you're here, and I'm here, and I was you, um, I, I want to know, how was I? Huh? How was you? Yes, really? as you. <laughs> you were absolutely wonderful. Uh, but. Oh. <laughs> but what? Remember that yodeling in the little goat herd? Yes. You know, Julie, there is yodeling and yodeling. And I was only yodeling, right? Uh, I see. Is there anything we can do about that? Uh, would you be interested if I show you a, a, a tiny little, genuine little Austrian yodeler? Yes, I mean, the even after the fact, it's better to learn how to yodel properly, right? <laughs> the All right, yeah? teach me. <clears throat> And I should sing that, right? Yeah. Please. Okay. <coughs> it seems to help clearing the throat. Ha, 
<laughs> How charming! Here's another selection from The Story of the Trapp Family Singers by Maria von Trapp. Chapter 4. Barbara. Maria faces a problem upon moving to America. Quote, after asking around, I learned that in the whole neighborhood, there were only three midwives to be found, all of them Negroes. At that time, I was a little afraid of colored people, whom we had never seen in our country, and who still seemed to us a little legendary. People out of a thousand and one nights, interesting to look at and to talk to, but a little scary to have around too close. Quote, Don't worry, Maria eventually hired a black maid. Midwife? No. Made? Yes. I'm not trying to cancel Maria Von Trapp. Cancelled. Boom, boom. I simply think we need to see her as a person with ingrained prejudice and not as some jovial saint. Here are a couple of bonus tracks from the 1981 London Revival cast album. We're going to hear Edelweiss followed by Darkness. Darkness is coming 
televised cover lands squarely on the right side of 1980s cheese and proves to be thoroughly nourishing, like something off an early Celine Dion album. And Darkness is even better. There is a certain type of melancholy, bluesy, mustachioed queen who would have relished every second of this song back in its day. Huh? Another Friday night in my studio apartment with a warm beer, a wet cigarette, and my complete collection of Petula Clark vinyl. Will Sammy ever call? Will he ever call? Next up, Sesame Street's Monster Peace Theater featuring Cookie Monster and Grover. This is from Season 14, Episode 1814 of Sesame Street, which aired on April 21st, 1983. Take it away. Welcome. This Alistair Cookie for Monsterpiece Theater. Today, we're going to see a story everybody loves. Big, big hit. The Sound of Music. How sweet it is. And now, The Sound of Music. I have been sitting here for a long time, and I have been trying very hard to listen for The Sound of Music. But I do not hear The Sound of Music. Wait, there's the sound of something, but is it music? It is very hard to hum to. I do not think it is the sound of music. A fire engine, maybe. Yeah, could be a fire engine. Hark! I hear something else. It is the sound of... A chicken? I do not think that is music. It is catchy, but it would be very hard to dance to. I give it a six. Wait! What is that? It is the sound of a fish! No, wait! Check that! I am wrong! It is... the sound of music! Hey! Oh, wait! Hold it! Wait! Ah, this hill is alive! With the sound of music! Wait! Ah! Hello there, whoever's singing, could you stop it? This hill is alive with the sound of music! Stop the music, I want to get off! If you think we don't have more passages from the memoir for you, you are sorely mistaken. Here's a passage from chapter 13, The End of a Perfect Stay. Quote, The more we knew about America, the country, and its people, the more we felt a strong, warm love grow in our hearts. For instance, there was a war going on, and we were registered as enemy aliens. And not only were we not locked up in a camp, but we could go about our business unmolested while wearing our foreign costumes and talking our native of tongue on the street and in the trains and elevators. There had always remained some German numbers in our programs, and never had the audience minded that. This attitude was completely un-European. This lack of prejudice was heartwarming. The Americans never seemed to ask, who are you? But how good are you? Let's see. They gave you a fair chance to give your best, and they accepted you for that, whether you came from Poland, Russia, England, or Austria. Quote, yeah, well, being white probably went a long way. Am I right? Again, I'm not trying to cancel, cancel, boom, boom, Maria Von Trapp, but come on, give me a break. Oh, boy. All right, next up, the opening theme music for Torapu Ika Monogatari, a.k.a. The Trap Family Story. Let's go.
this series, which ran for 40 episodes between January and December 1991, was created as part of Nippon Animation's World Masterpiece Theater franchise, which also produced Les Miserables, Shoho Cosette, in 2007. Those who have heard our episode on Les Miserables will be all too familiar with the opening theme for Shoho Cosette. Let's get another selection from the memoir. Yes, I read the damn book, and so you're going to get as much as I got out of it. This is from Chapter 14, The New House. Oh, I do think this is our last passage from the book. Okay, so let's just take a moment to consider that. Okay, so as a bit of setup, Maria makes another friend while in America. Okay, you oriented? Let's go. Quote, It was Sunday afternoon, and the whole family had gone down to the farmhouse to help the newcomers move in. I was sitting outside, just enjoying myself. I intended to go down a little later. As I felt cool, I started to go upstairs to get my jacket. When I walked through the kitchen, I could hear footsteps upstairs. I knew definitely that all our people were gone. Who could that be? There it came, over to the stairs, and I could hardly believe my eyes when a tremendous, big skunk came waddling down the stairs. I had heard enough about skunks to make me politely back up, almost apologizing. Slowly, he came down into the kitchen, but, oh, horror, didn't walk out through the wide open door, but settled under the icebox. I ran down to the farmhouse to tell the others, and when we all came back home afterwards, the black and white tail was still sticking out from under the icebox. We all tiptoed and whispered in order not to frighten the dangerous guest. He apparently liked it there, and for days he came and went, so that finally he became so tame that he drank milk out of a bowl and looked for food in our garbage pail. One day he came back with a family. As the icebox was not big enough, they settled under the house. But one cannot tiptoe and whisper forever, and once in a while, something dropped to the floor, which was the roof for the skunk family. Then Mother Skunk quietly gave the defense signal, let us spray. And unanimously, we hated the one who had dropped that fatal fork, or whatever it happened to be. Quote, that was the final passage from the memoir, but we are not done when it comes to this show-related ephemera segment. Here, oh, here, here, here is the opening of On Golden Pond Live, which aired on CBS on April 29th, 2001. Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer perform On Golden Pond Live. Let's sneak a peek at how they're preparing. Do you have any queens? Go fish. Yes? Do you mind? We're rehearsing. There is no way Christopher Plummer could be more checked out during this promo. You want us to play bloody fuck all, go fish? What is this, a skit at a church bazaar? Fuck off! 11.9 million people watched On Golden Pond live, which was considered a failure at the time. Can you imagine that many people, 11.9 million people, watching anything that wasn't, I don't know, the Super Bowl in this day and age? Network television would kill for those numbers now. They would kill, I tell you. I believe it is now time for us to finally get around to talking about how do you solve a problem like Maria, the 2006 BBC series. Now, this show sought to cast the role of Maria for the 2006 London revival, of course, and it was produced by the same team who gave us I'd Do Anything in 2008. See our episode on Oliver for more info. Of course, said team included none other than Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber, who talks about the competition as if it could result in his untimely death. 
the public has a huge responsibility, it really does, because they could be taking some girl's career and her life and literally destroying it. Tonight, for the first time ever, a West End leading lady will be cast by you, the British public. It's quite simple, guys. We're just looking for a star, that's all. Yes. I do worry about my reputation. Clearly, I put my head completely on the chopping block here. Thousands applied, but only three remain. Connie, Helena, Siobhan. You will cast one of them as Maria von Trapp, and her life will be changed forever. I just want it so badly. I must be Maria, and everything Maria should be. I wonder if Andrew criticized these shows once the checks cleared, much as he did for the 2019 film version of Cats. What a bag of wet clay. Ugh. The finale for this competition series begins, bizarrely enough, with our esteemed finalists beating the shit out of everyone who had previously been knocked out of the competition. These poor women were asked to come back simply so they could be sucker-punched, choked out, and kicked in the gut for the amusement of millions. She climbs a tree and scrapes her knee, her dress is gone to tear. Ah! is on her way to mass and whistles on the stair. Oh! And underneath her wimple she has colors in her hair. I even heard her singing in the abbey. She's always late for chapel but her penitence is real. She's always late for everything except for every meal. Oh! 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 to say it but I very firmly feel. Talk about depressing. Well, they're not really beating the shit out of each other. Yes, they are. I watched it with my own eyes. Arrests should have been made. I am serious. I am not joking around. Should we find out who won this series? We already know, technically. I said it way at the top of this episode. Yes, let's, let's do it. Let's find out who won. All your votes have been counted and verified. The moment of truth has finally arrived. Helena and Connie, you've both worked so hard to get to this point in the final. It's been an epic journey. The nation has now decided who will become Maria von Trapp. For one of you, life is about to change forever. The girl the public have cast to be Maria von Trapp is Good for her. What was her name again? I want to say Mason. It's Connie. I know it's Connie. Can we talk about the Final Fantasy VI Big Boo's Haunt remix of Do Re Mi that underscores this protracted moment of tension? Da, <laughs> 
I half expected our good friend Mario to make an appearance. We should also point out how contestants on this show were ejected from the series with a grim rendition of So long, farewell, you lost and so goodbye. I can't imagine how mortifying it must have been to stand there while those who got to move on sang with big shit-eating grins. Bye-bye, loser, you did not win so fuck off. Ugh. Finally, we have this piece of ephemera for you. This is Good Night Song from the 2016 film Sarigama. Sarigama is a Bollywood remake of The Sound of Music that features an original score. The movie is available in full via YouTube, though there are no subtitles, just so you know. Let's play Good Night Song. Just imagine the kids are on the staircase. It's still the classic, iconic image of the kids on the staircase, but they are singing a brand new song called Good Night Song. Ho, ho, let's go! at this point in the show, we would take a ride on the musical carousel to determine what show we discuss next. But as I said, we have a brand new $10 a month patron. Ah, patron Elizabeth! Thank you so much again. As a $10 a month patron, Elizabeth is entitled to pick what show we talk about on the podcast. Elizabeth has selected a 2016 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It ran for 109 performances, and that show is, do you know what it is? It's Bright Star. Yes, Bright Star will be our next main feed subject, and that episode will drop on Wednesday, December 1st, because after this episode, oh my God, so much work went into this episode. Daddy needs a break. Daddy needs a week where he can rest and relax, but don't worry, December 1st, we'll bring about our bright eyes, not bright eyes, the Tim Burton... <laughs> Not that movie. No, no, no. Bright Star, the musical. Our coverage will drop on December 1st. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can be like Elizabeth, how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Okra Project. You can donate $1, $3, $5, or $10 a month. $1 a month will get you Monday early access to all of our main feed episodes, as well as a weekly verbal shout-out. Thank you so much for donating at least $1. $1 a month. Elizabeth, Aaron, Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Mark S., Rob, Shauna, Shianti, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. $1 a month patrons also have access to 16 bonus episodes regarding the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, a trailer review for the film Cats, ABC's 
Disney's The Little Mermaid Live, a full review of the film Cats, Emma, the stage musical, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, Plus, Documentary Now, original cast album, Co-op, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, Arlo the Alligator Boy, a trailer review for West Side Story, Vivo, the Tony Awards present Broadway's Back and Diana. You also get, as a $1 a month patron, Season 1, 12 episodes of Radio Boy, and the first 12 episodes of M3, The Movie Musical Man. M3, The Movie Musical Man is returning in 2022, just so you know. I should say Radio Boy to go backwards. Radio Boy is a special series for which I check in with myself via the non-musical theater songs that make me feel more like myself, and M3, The Movie Musical Man, well, that's all about trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. $3 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. Elizabeth wanted to hear from Lucy, Lucille Ball, and so we made that happen. You also get access to Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast, as well as a special one-off all about season one of Julie and the Phantoms. $5 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss on the podcast. Elizabeth got to do that. Elizabeth selected... Bright star, not bright eyes, Jonathan. Oh, no. You also get seasons one and two. That's 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. You'll also get access to our Broadway and Chicago review series. We just dropped a brand new episode in that series all about Paradise Square, and we will continue that series on, oh, let me see, December 22nd with our coverage of A Pretty Woman, the musical. Oh, boy, that's going to be a stinker. You also get, as a $5 a month patron, Shout About It, Volumes 1 and 2. That is a collection of 5, 6, 7, 8 ads and musical shoutouts from the first 50 episodes of the podcast. And then we have our final tier, $10 a month. You get everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed, Season 1, 12 episodes of The Snub Club, which is all about Broadway musicals that were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical, and finally, this series, uh uh-oh, Turn It Off, which is all about off-Broadway musicals. This is coming back back in February of 2022, but right now you can listen to the first six episodes, which are dedicated to Emojiland, Soft Power, The Fantastics, We Are the Tigers, Bat Boy, and A Strange Loop. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, please take a moment to write a five-star review. We are hoping to get 65-star reviews, and once we get to that point, I will release a special episode all about Disney's Zombies franchise. Right now, we have 52. We're so close. Write a five-star review. Help us get to that goal. You can stream the show via Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, or Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com. You can follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks as always to Patty and Benny. Oh, I love you, Patty and Benny. Thank you to Alex Green for our beautiful logo, and thank you to Zach Little for our fabulous intro and outro music. Oh, you know what that sound means. Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for podcasts. Oh well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off Wiedersehen, and goodbye!
nation has now decided who will become Maria von Trapp. For one of you, life is about to change forever. The girl the public have cast to be Maria von Trapp is...